0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. And today is a Get Out of Rap first. It's the first time there's a guest that's come back on a second time. It does help that this person works in the same company as me, and I know they're clever, so I can follow them around and say, come and talk again. For those of you that don't know Helen Beaumont Manahan, she is EMEA Quality and Customer Experience Manager um, if you check her out on LinkedIn, you'll see her note and her content is around improving human interactions. And one of the things that she wanted to talk about today was the topic of cultural nuance in QA. It's something I know nothing about, so I'm I'm very very pleased to be to be talking to Helen about this. Hello, Helen, again for the second time.
1: Hello, Martin, again. Re hello.
0: I think I was thinking maybe not for two but if if someone comes on three times there needs to be like some kind of get out rap I'm, for, thinking, like,
1: I'm thinking a crown I'm thinking a crown yeah
0: I was th- I was thinking of a cat my cat
1: <laughs> <laughs> you've been trying to get rid of that poor cat for years Martin it's not gonna happen get I out. know
0: I know I keep I'm <laughs> hoping that my mum and dad well, I'm not hoping my mum and dad's cat dies but as soon as it does I'm they look similar so I'm gonna just swap them round. Hopefully, they won't notice.
1: <laughs> oh no, no, he's always had that mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean he was brown before and now he's black and white? Yeah.
0: Right. So, why are we here to talk about cultural nuance? Or so why, when I said to you, right, we've I want to do another podcast, and you said, yeah. let's, I want to talk about this. Why did you want to talk about this?
1: Um, I wanted to talk about this particularly because it's something that we come up against all the time. Um, normally, in the context of we're having this problem, there's a bit of a disconnect, and, and we're not sure why. And then when we take a closer eye or ear to it, then then it's there's some kind of element of of cultural um, cultural nuance at play here. Um, so basically, at, at BPA, as you will know very well, we we offer um, multilingual. Uh, monitoring, multiple languages, up to 45 different languages, I believe, at the last count. And what we pride ourselves on when we do that, this sounds a bit sales pitchy, but it's really just context, is that we use uh, native speakers. So, and it's the, the native speakers um, that makes our insight so valuable. They're attuned to kind of cultural differences in ways that even when you're fluent in, in a different language, fluent non-native speakers can't always pick up on certain, certain things that we're going to hopefully talk about a bit presently uh, in the way that people that were that were potentially born and raised or at least immersed very deeply in a culture um understand so so that's why i think it's really important as a topic
0: and would would you have to have multilingual activity taking place in your contact center to benefit from some of the things you're going to talk about or are there considerations for a- a- anyone dealing because i guess it's all about communication right
1: absolutely that i mean uh, as long as humans are talking to other humans not everybody these days in the days of globalization uh, comes from the same place and often uh, it's just good to have an outward eye and an outward ear to differences so you know how to better connect with each and every one of your customers as an individual for example but also you know uh, these days we often work with with um, global teams, Different locations, different time zones, but also these different kind of um, nuances that that often aren't even considered. So, yeah, this this quite niche, but it's um there's definitely something here for for everybody. I would say if you're um, if you're in the world of customer contact,
0: and like I said at the outset, it's remiss of me, I guess. I hopefully won't get into trouble for saying this, but even though we are in the same company, I don't know anything about this. I'm just. I bimble along somewhere else um (laughs) can you uh and I don't want to sound like Michael Scott from The Office when he's saying to Oscar can you explain this to me like I'm an eight-year-old he does it and then says now can you explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old but can you um, give some examples of what some of these cultural considerations are that you that you hear on these multilingual projects
1: oh absolutely so so yeah as you just mentioned we, we do have a lot of global and, and multilingual projects and often uh the client expectation is that the the tone of agents should remain consistent um and that's regardless of of the customer's language that they choose to communicate in or the chosen contact channel um but that introduces a bit of a paradox really because um naturally you want agents to sound genuine in any language but when that translates to a global campaign, then you have to also accommodate for these cultural differences. So uh, that there are um, kind of things that come up time and time again, and that understanding of you know culture-specific etiquette is is a really key en- element for getting it right in terms of soft skills and, and how we're relating to those customers that may come from a different background.
0: And can you give any like specific examples? What's the so- what for sort sure. of thing?
1: Absolutely. So a really good example is um, empathy. So whereas a, a U.S customer or potentially a northern European customer might expect an agent to express empathy for their stated situation especially if it's a if it's a negative issue that they're having right at the outset of, of that conversation. There are other cultures, for example um, Asian cultures where if you display unsolicited empathy it's it's not appropriate and, and actually it can be a bit of a taboo and your monitoring has to take account of those differences and, and again we can unpack that a bit more later. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with that.
0: And do they, is this true in both kind of um, verbal as well as text or web chats or non-speech? Yeah,
1: that, that's a great question. So, so again, so we monitor, you know, different different contact channels. And when you're thinking about text-based contact, um, aside from that you know there's an inherent difficulty anyway often when we're just texting friends or, or emailing friends in there's a difficulty in establishing tone in written communications that's why emojis have, have been um, such a, a boon really these days in, in the days of just tapping things out on your phone but there are other cultural implications uh, anyone who's learned a different language at school for example would know that in many European languages then there's a kind of formal and an informal register and Historically, the formal register has been the way that you would address a client in, in customer service interactions. Some companies are now making like more of a conscious choice to kind of move away from that and to use the informal register to bring a, a slightly hipper or fresher feel to it, potentially. Um, for example, in French, um, you've got tu and vous. Um, but if you've got a slightly more old school or, or traditionally minded customer, then, then that use of the informal register, it doesn't go without saying always that it's going to be particularly well received. So that's that's something to think about. And that informality that you, you, you sometimes see in written communication sometimes is kind of occurs in like a stark contrast, really, to the voice channel for that same company. So that can lead to a situation where agents um, are required to, you know, address a customer in in one way uh, on voice contact and then may have to do it slightly differently over text. So if that customer chooses to engage over multiple channels, then there may be a bit of a disconnect there.
0: I mean, that's something that applies just in single language. Um, yeah. It's a challenge, even as consumers, not necessarily because we're in the industry, but as consumers, I think it's 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 apparent a lot of the time, isn't it? Dependent on the channel, you are getting a different tone of voice, and I think um, bringing that together is is definitely something you see people sort of doing, putting a lot of effort into doing. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And then when you add in the whole multilingual element, it's an it's a whole other ball game, I guess, isn't it? Totally. Totally. No, it
1: really.
0: Is. So what? Um, how then, given that, if I'm thinking about this then, in your opinion, do you see, or how do global brands approach it? Do they go, this is our framework, these are our measures, this is how we want things to be communicated, there is no variation, or do they just localise it and say, here's some loose rules, do what you want, what's the mix? Well,
1: as you can imagine, we we see different uh different kind of permutations of what you've just expressed there, <laughs> dependent on the, the company um, and what their ultimate aims are. But often if, if people do try to impose a one-size-fits-all approach, then then that will tend to come unstuck. And you will often tend to find that there will have to be regional variations regardless. So ultimately establishing you know, that appropriate tone for agents, regardless of the language, regardless of the method of contact, you know what I'm going to say here, don't you? You know how it's best achieved, don't you? You know me well enough. A trumpet? <laughs> as well as trumpets. Um, I- I'm talking about frequent calibration sessions. Oh. Yeah. So, so <laughs> they, need to take, they need to take part frequently uh, with key project stakeholders. And ideally, you're going to be using sample interactions across all the different languages and all the channels in which you are delivering your um, your project and your 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 business so uh, that's really paramount and there also needs to be in a kind of calibration of calibration so say for example all teams should be calibrated in english as well but then yeah you need to diversify just to make sure that you can kind of really level on on tone because tone and being on brand is as we know massively important and so
0: it's confused. a given in any in any conversation <laughs> or any solution, it's a given that one part of it is calibrations. Are there are there other ways to kind of establish that appropriate tone of voice for if you have that kind of global outlook or global brand?
1: Yeah, it, it's all about communication, communication, communication. But uh, regardless of the language and the method. Um, you know through consultancy we we have gained a lot of different insights we've been asked specifically sometimes to examine what appears to be a cultural disconnect for example you know in the use of offshore outsources and through that and, and through looking at um, things through a, a slightly more um, stringent lens we've we've kind of uncovered a couple of key cultural differentiators which which aren't always talked about very often one of those is called um high context and and low context communication styles um and they they exert unintended influences basically if if they're not properly understood Um, and that was a revelation for me you probably remember that we we've worked with companies in the past where Um, when we're we're talking about maybe Southeast Asian call centres, those agents there are performing less well on a prescribed scorecard than, say, a European or an American counterpart um, on on things like empathy uh, or, you know, kind of really relating and and matching to customer styles. And this this idea of uh, high-context and low-context cultures is something that, really exerts a a kind of unseen and often unacknowledged influence on communication. And um, it's probably a factor at play there.
0: Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So imagine I'm an eight year old. (laughs) (laughs) What does high context and low context mean? (laughs)
1: so uh so it's a key concept in understanding differences in communication okay and uh, you can break it down on on a cultural level okay so high context cultures rely on okay this isn't really at 8 year old level but implicit communication so non verbal cues okay right yeah so in in a high context communication messages rely on other cues as well as what's actually being said of um, to, to be transmitted so examples of high context cultures are chinese um, some arabian ones african um, in many ways J- japanese culture and southeast asian so those are all examples of, of fairly generally speaking high context cultures okay On the flip side of that, low context cultures like, for example, Germany, the UK, uh, to a slightly lesser extent, the United States, they rely on explicit communication. So, that kind of idea of a Texan who's very shoot from the hip, you know, says it, uh, you know, um, a plain talker, um, it's all in the words, okay, and doesn't rely so much on, on other external contexts.
0: So, you were saying Texan, I always think of Yorkshire. I like what yeah. I say and I say what I like.
1: I like that. <laughs> Aye. Very good. Yes. Yeah.
0: So you something there though? you said to a lesser extent, the US. Now, how how are they? Well, this could open up a huge kind of ones. But what's the difference in this context then between the UK and the US? Why are they? Why is there? You said it was slightly different.
1: Well, again, and and this is slightly probably higher than than eight year old. Um, but basically, the the model of high context and low context cultures. It's a very popular framework. It's really great as a to use as a kind of well as a framework to con- to kind of conceptualize what we're talking about here. But it it has had its critics um, in terms of you know lacking um, full validation. Um, it, it's as a theory, it's deemed sometimes to be a bit underdeveloped. But I genuinely think that there's there's merit in it as a conceptual model, and specifically in the context of contact centres, which is you know our our world. So uh, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to get back to what I'm saying it's been argued that while you know if you're just saying off the cuff yes the U, the us is a is a um a low context culture there are is a very big place and mm. you may find that for example uh, there are differences regional regional variations which you know if you just kind of paint in very broad brush strokes you're not going to you're not going to understand those those nuances within the nuances does that make sense
0: it does yeah would you what What examples, then, could you give um, of high or low in action? What...
1: It, that that's a great question, and and for people, say for example ourselves who who are brought up in a, in a predominantly low context culture like the U the UK or, or Western Europe, um, if we're struggling to understand the concept of high and low context, there's a really good and, and often used uh, example which is family groups or say for example a big family dinner. So even in a more low context culture. Uh, and regard well really regardless of, of your cultural background most people can picture a kind of big family gathering you know a kind of christmas dinner type thing complete with all those in jokes and that shared history mm. the behavioral kind of codes and rules basically the subtext all mm. right that close family members uh, we we take it for granted but but when you get a big a group of people who already know all those unwritten rules that subtext around the table then lots of things get left unsaid and sometimes past assault doesn't quite mean past yeah assault, because everybody in that group already knows the context and and that's kind of if you apply that to a wider scale what um people in more high context cultures kind of live by every day there are a lot more kind of rules of engagement unwritten rules of engagement which everybody just instinctively knows OK, so it's all about relationships in high context cultures. So it's more close connections that are formed over a long period of time. Um, and often these are perceived that the relationship is more important than the task.
0: And then that, I guess, is a small leap to say. Or well, or is it fair to say that you would expect Eastern cultures then to have more higher context styles does it mean it's hierarchical or not
1: that that's definitely an element of it yes so you're absolutely right so we see um there's a there's a great passage in um malcolm gladwell who was an author i know that you and i both quite like he wrote a book called outliers and and he spoke a lot about just how codified some some cultures are and, and what that can mean and it can actually mean that that planes can crash if people are too entrenched in um, the kind of the, the the structure and the hierarchy uh, and the way things have always been done Um people sometimes won't won't speak out if they feel themselves to be a subordinate and, and that's kind of what we see in customer contact if if you have a, um, a a low context customer who's really kicking off and and really unhappy about something and you have somebody from a much more high context culture who is just listening being very deferential allowing that person to speak never presuming to know how that person actually feels then that can create a real disconnect and a bit of a gulf
0: and what's the what's the anecdote about the plane crashing
1: um so so basically it forgive me because it's a little while since i actually read um that that particular book but it, it was so interesting so um basically what he said that if we come from a culture with its own kind of mix of, of strengths and weaknesses, um, that's absolutely fine. We, we don't need to kind of shy away from that and pretend that we're all exactly the same. That's fine. Difference is fine. Um, so what he actually said was he shared, I think it was Korean Air or certainly a Korean airline um, who uh, previously in the past had quite a, a poor safety record. They'd had a lot of crashes and when they engaged uh, some consultancy to, to maybe look into why that was and what could be done to improve that, one of the recommendations that came out of that um, analysis was to use English as the spoken language on the flight deck. Not because English is any better um, than Korean, but because it doesn't have those elements of that the nuance within it that leads to um, a really hierarchical structure. It, it takes that away. I'm probably not explaining myself very well here, but what I'm saying is they found when they looked into why planes had crashed that potentially there was this element of of, of people feeling deferential and not being able to speak up and say to a superior, I think you've gone mm. the wrong way here, mate.
0: <laughs> so the co-pilot was kind say, I, he's obviously seen that mountain. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything.
1: Precisely that in in a very anecdotal and very loose form. I'm sure that that Malcolm Gladwell would would cringe to hear me describe it in these terms, but yes, ultimately. yes.
0: I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, there's loads of other variables at play, but the, the, the family dinner thing, naturally you, you think of the moment you said that I'm thinking, yeah, if, if you're, if you enter someone else's family dinner, you're speaking the same language, but so much of it is just, going over your head because you do not know what they're talking about unless they explain it
1: absolutely that and I mean in some um eastern cultures there's actually like another soft skill which we don't really know about which is kind of this this idea to be skilled at inferring hidden meaning and and kind of really being attuned to that and understanding what's going on so that that kind of decoding the meaning from indirect messages is 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 a skill in its own right which I find fascinating
0: how would you even be able to monitor that? <laughs>
1: um, I wouldn't want to try without a lot of uh, a lot of research and and a lot of talking to some very clever people. To be honest with you.
0: <laughs> well, what what is so this high and low um, context, and is is it right to say that's just how they're defined? It isn't saying that one is better than the other.
1: That's ex- exactly right in no way are we saying that that one is better than the other absolutely not that that would be just you know just so far removed from from what we are saying here it's just um it's just a discussion of you know differing mm. styles it's it's a strand of a much wider topic i mean there are lots of elements within this In cultural variants there's different approaches to task completion conflict resolution decision making all kinds of different things and and it's not no way is inherently better they're just different and when we don't understand those differences and when we don't embrace those differences or to use Malcolm Gladwell's phrase when we're squeamish about those differences that's when poor customer experience happens when we work globally.
0: Hmm. I must admit in a in a previous lifetime um, this brings to mind we were launching a, a new product, new service in Turkey where I was based and we had Turkish project team, UK project team, and a US project team. And they were the most bizarre meetings I'd ever attended, <laughs> even though everyone's talking the same language, right? So English was used. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and afterwards, with the Turkish project team, we used to joke about how it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't even just about the language. I guess this is what you're saying, right? Because it wasn't it wasn't different nuances and different, um, especially humor. Humor was always a a kind of really good gauge stick or it certainly highlighted the differences around languages, but it was also how projects were run were completely different, even though you followed the same, um, I don't want to say terminology, uh, methodology, um, yeah, it was fascinating. Is this the kind of this? It all falls into that kind of playground, right?
1: That's that's right. So you you've just kind of highlighted those differences and and the way that different um, cultures prefer to do business and how much value is placed on pre existing relationships, for example, um, and and that does impact business. It impacts deals. It impacts communication, but it also impacts those day to day customer contacts as well. But yeah, so so that's a great. That's a great example you've just given of, of where you can see those differing kind of levels of, of contextual um, cultural influences coming into play.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's a common theme developing here, because if you can imagine, I was kind of sat in that room going, what is going on? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so you um, probably
1: party to some real kind of unspoken rules there. Um,
0: I, I actually found that it took in one case it often me but it took somebody to try and to take that step and say I don't know what we're agreeing to here we need to clarify it for the benefit of everyone that kind
1: of there you go yeah so that that's um that's the the difference kind of just writ large between your low context preference for let's spell this out let's be crystal clear to a more high context slightly more obscure um but but very meaningful um way of working things out so
0: is this even i mean what does this then mean for contact centers because there's going to be people listening that go this is this is fascinating but what does it what does it mean for me
1: yeah that that's absolutely great so what we've basically done is (laughs) is kind of uncovered quite an alarming observation here haven't we so so these different cultural styles are pretty much diametrically opposed in certain areas, which are also deemed crucial to how we conduct business, as we've Mm. just discussed, and vitally how we conduct customer service interactions. So if these often unconscious kind of social rules of engagement differ. Um, dependent on local context, we we know that there are some pain points, basically, when teams in one region are servicing customers in another. So if your contact centre is based somewhere other than where you're your customers are, then um, you you see some some patterns, and, and we've noted some patterns. So, where like a Western customer may may expect kind of you know right off the bat upfront proactive empathy. I know how you feel. That must be terribly frustrating for you. In other Eastern cultures, it might not be appropriate to offer that empathy. Mm. Um, some managers might want to say, you know, I'll, I'll check on that for you. I, I'm not sure. We'll we'll find out the answer together, but if you don't know in some cultures just going back to that hierarchy idea then then that can be a loss of face okay so so face is it is a huge element um uh, that, that deserves deserves a whole kind of podcast in itself really but just that idea that that for us it's, it's actually very transparent and refreshing to say i don't know let's partner let's work together and we'll find the answer but in other cultures it, it's just not okay to do that um Time is a moving commodity for some of us. So we, we talk, for example, in the West of spending time, saving time, wasting time. We like clear linear, t- linear time scales. We like next steps. We we coach our advisors to be very clear on setting next steps. But sometimes Eastern cultures conceptualize time just fundamentally differently. And that can often kind of translate uh, when when setting time scales. And, and neither way is better. Uh, So sometimes people like uh, small talk, you know, uh, some of our our European um, customers like like kind of like rapport, a bit of a a giggle. But but there are other cultures where potentially it's it's unprofessional going back to that idea of face and and um, and also respect. And they might refrain from building that what we just see as kind of common or garden rapport Um, and also long silences that could just be, you know, we call that dead air but actually it could just be be deferential treatment from from that agent who's trying to give you the space that you need to state your issues so so fundamentally all of this applies directly to the contact center um and so knowing about these different cultural approaches even just shining a light on it um we can start to understand some of the the unintended effects basically that and those kind of Agent behaviours that we see and that we um, that we mark every day on our scorecards, and then we can start to look about how to course correct and kind of align.
0: And if if then some of those, you know, that, that's fascinating. Those the elements that you talked about there, and interestingly, you ended on scorecard because I guess scorecard is the uh, the practical living example of how all of that theory is applied to monitoring and interaction does that mean that lot dependent on whether you're low or high uh bear with me on this one i'm getting there (laughs) dependent on whether you're low or high there's potentially more or less elements that you could say are quite subjective and is and is that okay
1: Mm. well you've just yeah you've, you've nailed another key point we know that customers today expect so much more don't they than, than just to have their issue solved they, they want reassurance that the agent understands their issue they also generally call expecting empathy if, if the issue requires or warrants that and also rapport and we know that soft skills are notoriously difficult to quantify uh, and to then just get right and then when those operations span different continents then you're adding that additional Disconnect often so uh you know what western customers value in terms of customer service is difficult enough to get right on a scorecard when you're servicing um european clients from europe but when you're doing it globally just having that that kind of that insight that the these disparities exist can really help um sometimes when we talk about global training for agents or you know even if you're training on on a particular scorecard or a set of quality measures or you know that kind of thing we will just roll out a scorecard in english in multiple locations and expect that every agent's just going to get it but um you know we we have to understand that that people will revert to type so despite our best efforts to produce effective training if uh, an agent is you know, faced with an irate customer, which is stressful for our agents, then the human tendency is that we'll fall back on our ingrained kind of cultural formalities. And we do that out of respect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a thought experiment, you're a call center agent, which I know you and I have both been, you've got an angry customer on the line Um, love it which which approach are you going to readily favor when you're in that stressful situation are you going to kind of like mistily remember your corporate training deck that you that you saw when you joined that that particular campaign you know a year ago um when you had your induction at your foreign multinational company that you work for or are you going to fall back on the proper time-tested kind of etiquette that you've learned from childhood about what respect looks like so th- that's an absolute key insight. And anyone who's looking at quality monitoring, looking at scorecards, looking at coaching um, for agents who are native to high context and low context cultures, if there's that uh, international element there, or if you're servicing global customers, for example, wh- wherever you're based, then, then these are things that you need to consider. And particularly, you know, when you're doing it multi-channel as well, because all of these are, are parts of a, a big moving puzzle. And we rarely give much thought, if any, to the subtle ways that we are kind of bound by the language that we speak in. Um, we know that language matters. We know how much it matters. But drawing cultural lines feels a bit uncomfortable, but but there's huge dividends to be reaped if you do it.
0: I can't help but think actually I really could have done with you prior to going out to Turkey. And I guess that's something for people to... It's just becoming, it's doing your research so you have all the understandings of the things that may come to play in the interactions that are going to take place. I I talked about it on um, the podcast where I was a guest, but trying to introduce um, structured elements to the calls that were taking place Mm -hmm. with the the Turkish team. And I said, I, I want everybody to follow a similar opening and pretty standard stuff from here a lot of pushback, a lot of people saying that is not how our customers want us to engage with them. And I was saying, yeah, but this is it, this way gives us control and we know we can yeah. control call length and we can do this and we can do that, can do the other. It actually took that to fall flat on its face for me to go, <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to listen to you now, yeah. but let's find elements of both yeah. to make the overall experience better across the board um
1: yeah a hybrid approach and it's interesting isn't it because you've just you've just outlined again kind of cultural nuance in action haven't you 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 kind of you took a tried and tested very european model and tried to impose it on on a a different customer base um with all those different unwritten social rules and codes and mores and it didn't quite translate um so so a real understanding of those contextual cultural differences basically if you understand then then you can find the right strategies and you can bridge those gaps as you found um so all of these kind of these points need to be applied in training in monitoring and coaching and then even at the company cultural level especially for global companies
0: and is that so those that those pain points and that kind of thing you've you mentioned you briefly kind of alluded it to it there around some of the training but what would you say Uh, leaders and also agents can do to kind of mitigate the the pain points
1: well the start is like I say just shining a light on it I would say again not being scared to highlight that we're different, um, you know, in this day of, oh, I can't believe I'm using this term because it's PC gone mad, isn't it? But, that you know, that there are, for example, there's an old play on cultural stereotypes and I'm, I'm sure it kind of, you know, predates the internet. I don't know if you've heard this, but in heaven, the police are British, the cooks are French and the engineers are German. In hell, those roles are switched around. <laughs> okay, and, and, yeah,
0: that's great. Um,
1: well, it's not particularly, um, you know, in this day and age, it's it's a bit like, well, she can't say that. We understand that that generalisation at the expense of the individual is is massively dangerous, but but there's still, you know, there's truth in the above statement.
0: I, I, I always think it with these smile. things, it, sorry, I always think with these things it gives you just a place to start. Yeah. If you if you understand that it's that's not the start and the finish, it's yeah. a good starting point, and if you're open to for that to be challenge it's as good a place as any isn't it there's some there's got to be it's got to be based in some truth
1: completely that completely and and so to your point it's kind of if you work in an international business environment you you will notice differences some are subtle some are more pronounced um you know in communication styles favored by you know different personnel depending where they're based um, and so what we need to know is is how to use those differences and celebrate them, but to really understand them and think how that translates when those agents are, are talking to those customers. And that's not to say that the individual, you know, personality type, type, which is another massive BPA favorite, um, come into play. But but we know that there's a real problem for for there's a real potential for problems anyway, when companies try to impose that kind of cookie cutter one size fits all approach hmm. without just considering that there may be issues hmm.
0: the, it, do you know what this reminds me again of um, so follow being in is so following that those interactions with the project team that i was talking about um i i did start doing my own kind of research about how do i how can I? i was learning turkish at the time but how can and even though the a lot of the guys i worked with were fluent in english mm-hmm. i was like how can i help us communicate better and i may have this wrong but i'm pretty sure it's 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 the source is there or thereabouts there was it was a dutch diplomat to help dutch businesses in britain produced a um, a three-column list that said what british people say
1: yeah, what seen what it. what you
0: what foreign people hit think they mean yep. and what they and what British people yep. actually mean. I printed that off yeah. and gave it to the rest of the project team. A, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's and so that was the main point. Really, was to have a laugh <laughs> but, at them. But they said afterwards it really helped yeah. because it just got them to think about. Oh, so when Julian is saying this, he's taking the Mickey a bit, isn't he? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but, but what you've just done there, Martin, has completely destroyed my theory of, of the UK being a low-context society. <laughs> <laughs> <I just, laughs>
0: okay. Low-context but sarcastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, completely that, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I really would like to stress that, that nothing that we've talked about here, none of the communication styles or different cultural um, prevailing attitudes is, is inherently better. It's simply different, and so... Mm. You know, even using broad brush terms like Eastern, Western, yeah. Asian, European, if you're looking in a deeper context, then then those can be problematic. We know that. But hopefully everybody can take what we've discussed here in good faith. And um, I don't want to detract from the huge benefits that just having an understanding at even a high level of these cultural differences uh, the, the benefits are huge uh, and, and there's actual potential operational risk faced by companies who are ignoring these types of insights. Um, yeah. So just looking at broad tendencies is, is really useful to inform and educate and, and, and to help us to kind of get better at, at, at communication between when two individuals of a different cultural background um, have to connect and have to speak, such as we see with contact centres all the time, then then these types of insights can really really help just to to, to form the basis of, of um coaching, training, monitoring frameworks.
0: So to summarize, how should people apply this insight of high and low context communication into quality monitoring? And let's assume everyone probably now knows that one element is going to be calibration. <laughs>
1: absolutely. <laughs> well well I'd start <laughs> yeah it is it, it absolutely is honestly I can't stress enough how the insights that fall out of of a good calibration session uh, just just can't be underestimated and and what can be understood can ultimately be leveraged okay so so it's all about understanding you you have to remember how important this is in, in customer experience hmm. especially when you've got kind of lots of moving parts in your global business picture so if you're using outsource vendors or you're, yeah. you're servicing customers from other parts of the world companies that really value customer experience are also the ones who know that, that there are certain elements of interactions which which really you need that human touch. Customers value you know human connection uh, for all the reasons that, that we know. So for for empathy, for reassurance, for for skilled and and um, really well aimed rapport building. Um, if those aren't being uh, kind of thought about and built into your quality program, then then you are going to lose out from a business perspective. So if that sounds a bit woolly as an answer, it's because I you know i I know how unique all of these things are to each individual business to each individual customer type, and really, I would just counsel that everybody can start by just looking at this as as a concept um and then think about how they can apply the insights, just like you did when when we just spoke about your experiences in turkey you start by gaining the insight that that this is okay to talk about that there are cultural differences and that we can quantify them and break them down and then we can think about how we can bridge start to build bridges um, and and make things better for everybody but it all starts with understanding and yeah calibration
0: (laughs) (laughs) but that kind of point about this is all to to make communication better for internally, for um, for everyone's customers. So I guess what what I took from that is if you are in any way operating in a contact center world that has any type of global, international, different cultural reach, that when you come to look at your quality monitoring and your framework, and I guess even your customer experience journeys, all that kind of stuff that you consider and run the cultural nuance scanner over Love it. your yeah. framework, right?
1: C- completely that. I, even if the, the all you do is just um, take a look at, there's lots of different kind of sliding scales you can find about from low context cultures to high context cultures, and they're kind of mapped out, just so you can kind of, if you're a visual person, you can see um, how that scale looks and you know then you you might find that if somebody from um, the u we s'll we'll say our Texan again is speaking to somebody in Manila because they have a problem, you might then start to see how that, that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of distance there not just geographically um, but which can absolutely be be overcome uh, to to the benefit of everybody
0: this has been this has been fascinating. I wish I'd asked you about this stuff earlier uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Helen, I'm going to offer you uh, your brain to people and say that they're, they they want to know more. Um, they can they can contact you via LinkedIn and stuff. That's okay, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm always happy to to discuss and and to hear thoughts. And I'd just like to to point out, I am in no way positing myself as some kind of um, social science, um, you know, uh, guru. All I'm saying is that we have found. From a, From a global perspective, when we 're helping clients improve their uh, interactions uh, with customers day to day these kind of insights have been massively useful just in informing our approaches and and the interventions that we use to to drive improvements and to make the contacts better ultimately
0: and that is a a, a lovely um, lovely way to end the podcast um, Helen Beaumont, manahan. Thank you very much. This is your I, life. <laughs> well, I the next time I I come down to Exeter to see you, I will be bringing, of course, your get out of wrap cat. So um,
1: No, no, I think we agreed on on a crown, okay?
0: The cat can wear a crown. He's very talented <laughs> and very angry.
1: Which um what how high context or low context do you think cats are?
0: Just high.
1: High context. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you. All right.
0: Well, y- Maybe if you spend time with Whiskers, then you then you'll be able to let me know whether I'm right or wrong. There. I see what you've
1: done there. I, I see your game. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk Thanks. to you. <laughs> Thanks a lot.
0: Bye bye.
1: Take care. Bye bye. Millions of Americans are getting back to work. Career Builder calls it the great rehire and we want to help you get the best jobs before everyone else. CareerBuilder gives you the competitive edge to get the job you want, at the salary you want, with the benefits you want. We even send job alerts, so your
0: perfect job lands right in your inbox. Go to CareerBuilder.com today, or get left with whatever jobs are left. Find your next job fast at CareerBuilder.com.